And now, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and IOMGeek.com present The History of Marvel Comics. Excelsior! March 1941, Captain America makes his patriotic debut. Writer Joe Simon and artist Jack Kirby would produce the first ten issues of the comic before leaving the company after a falling out with publisher Martin Goodman. In March 1964, artist Jack Kirby and writer Stan Lee would revive Captain America for a new generation of readers in The Avengers No. 4. March 1944 Gay Comics number 1 debuts. The first issue of this happy comic cheered readers with works by cartoonists Harvey Kurtzman and Basil Wolverton. As well as Gay Comics, Wolverton also worked on the character Tessie the Typist, who received her own comics in the summer of 1944. March 1948. Two-Gun Kid number 1 debuts. In this, Marvel's first Western comic book, Clay Harder starred as the original Two-Gun Kid and was drawn by Sid Shores. Harder, who had been wrongly accused of murder, wandered through the Old West using his prowess as a gunslinger to battle wrongdoers. Like the Western characters played by actors Gene Autry and Roy Rogers, this Two-Gun Kid was a singing cowboy. In Two-Gun Kid number 60, in November 1962... Editor Stan Lee and artist Jack Kirby would create a new two-gun kid who resembled a superhero. This character was the lawyer, Matt Hawk, whose masked identity fought crime. In this revamped two-gun kid, the original kid, Clay Harder, was merely a fictional dime novel character. Tim and Wayne, out of an abundance of caution, I'm Aaron. This is Paul, at least six states away. <laughs> this is Wayne. And this is Tim, and I'm essential personnel. He is essential <laughs> personnel. The most, he's what? He's quintessential personnel. <laughs> Tim's here to, to, to give us our finale when we get to it of Crossover March Madness. We couldn't conclude it without him. That's true. That's true. That's true. So... Coronavirus, uh, quarantine, whatever, you know, week three. Uh, a lot of us are getting caught up on our uh, social media, our comic book reading, our television. I-, I know that I haven't done a goddamn thing creative. I haven't, like, crocheted or written a book or, <laughs> or anything <laughs> or anything even halfway interesting. But I did I, buy a bunch of movies this week, and I've been hemorrhaging money like it's going out of style with online ordering. I just want to say you're missing out because uh, Paul's needlepoint is on point. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Talk to me in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am uh, now 11 days as we record this, 11 days without shaving. Just saying. Wow. That's that's what I'm working on. I'm working on hobo beard. I'm wondering at what point I just shaved my head. 
Like that's that's really I, like I, I'm a, I'm a, I feel like I'm eleven days away from shaving my head at this point. Well, I, I gotta <laughs> say, you know, I am every four weeks I get a haircut, and I am now five weeks without a haircut, and it's driving me crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting pretty close. So it's like I work requires us to do video for most of our meetings, uh-huh. especially the smaller ones. I don't want to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, it's going to get pretty bad. Yeah, I, I, I think a, I think you guys I think you guys should go full full Tim mode. Five five weeks without a haircut, look like Game of Thrones. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, you know, I was having a conversation with a coworker, and you know, she's like, "I'm due to get my hair colored. I'm due to get my hair cut." When they release everything, we've got to have a week's buffer zone before we come back to the office because you know I got to get time to to get this back to looking normal. I'm just like, uh, yeah, I mean, because we're all going to look just terrible by the time, uh, by the, you know, and it's going to demonstrate what a bunch of horseshit, you know, post-apocalyptic shows like The Walking Dead are, because, you know, they walk a, walk around looking, you know, somewhat refreshed, and, uh, you know, we're all just, you know, all with our air conditioning and electricity and run, hot and cold running water, but none of us have had a haircut or a dye job <laughs> in, in however long, so... Uh, yeah, it's going to look terrible. Yeah, that's why we look terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's the story we're thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we aren't the only ones in dire straits. Uh, this week, Diamond, who is the the biggest um, game in town as far as comic book distribution. There are others, but they're the ones that pretty much distribute every comic you read. They're um, the yeah. only ones ones that really matter yeah um announced that they will not be accepting or distributing new comics um starting like this no starting with this upcoming week's uh new releases right april 1st or is it or or have we already had our last new comic book day we've had our last new comic book day yeah Uh, they were emptying the warehouse this week and that's it Ah, okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, as of the time of this recording, um, you know, we don't know if comics will still be released digitally or not. They they haven't really announced that from from essentially the big two, Marvel and DC. Uh, But most of the smaller companies that have made announcements have announced not, if I'm remembering correctly right Wayne yep. you're you're you're, the, you're a new source on this this is what happens when Wayne doesn't have shit to do during the week Wayne tells us the news yeah so so far the ones we have announced some of the smaller ones have Archie Comics has multiple distributions they will keep doing the digest that are in like Walmart but their weekly books this is the last week of their weekly books digitally and then they are not going to print any, they're not going to release any more until they start shipping Dark Horse has come out and said that they support local comic shops, and because so, they will not release digitally any book that is not released in print first. Marvel and DC have yet to come out and make any announcements, but all indications seem to be that Marvel is pushing for something. Uh, They have told retailers that they're working on a solution, but there's been no details to what that is. DC came out to their freelancers and said, keep making comic books as usual. And uh, that's so far all they've said. So we really don't know. And the first question that most people have asked is, well, why would you stop the digital when you can keep printing them? Well, that's part of the contracts they have with Diamond is that they're not supposed to release these books until the physical are released. 
but by Diamond not shipping, that could be yeah. considered breach of contract, and then so. they're free to do other. Th- so the other thing people have asked, well, what percentage right now is the digital versus physical? And those numbers are not fully released, but as of 2018, digital downloads made about 100 mil versus the physical we're doing a about 900 million so it is still you, only uh, about 10 percent. so you were saying uh, because you cut out a little bit here you're 100 million on digital and 900 million for print is that what you're saying yep 10 percent yeah. still a big deal yeah it and is that was in 2018 and i'd imagine it's gone yeah. up but i, I i've got i'm gonna be surprised if it's 20 percent um you know yeah the, but it could it could be anywhere between 12 and 15 though yeah and, you know, we were having a conversation earlier this week, you know, with the exception of Tim, I don't know anybody who's uh, buying paper comics, you know, personally. I know I know a lot of a lot of our, our listeners are buying paper comics, but, uh, you know, the folks that I know who, who read comics every week are digital. You know, they've all gone yeah. digital for at least 18 months now. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Well, and you know, and, I, I, uh, but I will say on Facebook. So I follow. Um, I'm a, a, a uh, whatever you call it, you know those Facebook groups. If you've seen that kazoo commercial and wanted to punch a hole in your TV, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I do. I do hate that commercial. <laughs> God damn. <Paul. laughs> but there are a number of Facebook groups out there for comic book readers and collectors and things like that. And I'm a I'm a member on a number of them, and I I feel like I'm in the minority. Um, yeah. I mean, clearly I'm in the minority, but in those groups, I feel like I'm the only one who's not going to my comic shop and, and reading. And, you know, that was a conscious choice and it was a tough choice. I think it was a tough choice for, for most of us um, not to support the local business that, you know, we have established relationships with and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think at some point in our lives, it the between the the convenience of digital as well as for us Space. like we're old yeah we're, we, we got yeah. a lot of shit <laughs> we, we yeah. don't have room for more you know we're we're all in relationships or married um you know at some point it's like i i can't fit another print comic book in this house so well, uh, digital a big, part of, a big part of comic collecting has been the habit you know and the the routine of it you go you get your books all of that in my case my comic shop owner and I could have switched to another comic shop, but that was the time of this whole loyalty I felt to the shop was gone because the shop wasn't there right then. So that's when I switched to digital. But a lot of people out there are still in the collector's mindset. You know, there are people that comics aren't just something they read. It's what they collect. And I didn't realize that until this week because I've been out there watching the news, reading all of these comments here and there. And the uh, the comic shop owners, they're calling for all digital to be stopped because they're afraid of pushing people to digital. The comic shop owners have the stance that if people go digital, it'll be the end of comics because comic stores are the sales force and that you don't exist without them. There's been a few um, that have stepped so- up, gave some ideas about let's buy the... Buy a token for the physical book now and then get the digital. But other shop owners don't even want to do that. So I, I'll, I'll say this as the, as, the, as the descending voice on this digital uh, physical book thing. I, I didn't get any books this week. Um, it just it, it doesn't make, it didn't make any sense because my, my store is really close to my job. But my job is, you know, 12 miles away. Right. So it was it didn't 
I couldn't do it even if I wanted to. And uh, it's not just comics for me. It's like any anything that you could get PDF versus physical. Mostly, you know, we're talking about gaming supplements here. Like, you know, I need the actual book. I can't. I can't. I can't deal with the PDF. Um, but well, you know, it, it's, Tim, I feel the same way about PDFs. That I don't like reading PDFs. Although I do have a lot of them for the. Uh, I have both physical and PDF for game books because I can search the PDF. But Comicsology Guided View is what really pushed me into digital. PDF reading is horrible. No, I won't read a comic PDF. You know, the uh, I think that the comics market needs to demonstrate its strength here. And the way you do that is you continue delivering product whatever by whatever means you can. And if digital is your avenue for that, I think you do that. Um, and then when the comic shops come back online – you know, have all of these creators that you've got working on stuff do special, you know, we're back from Corona covers. That'll get your people back in buying them. Um, you know, make it something different from digital. I, I think that's what you have to do. I, I think it's crazy to just let the market lie fallow when you have the opportunity to get your product in people's hands. Yep. And uh, in some of the big guys may be looking at different distributors as an option. But for at least the for at least Marvel, their books are sitting in the warehouse. They're just not being shipped. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's I, yeah. I, I really think it's crazy that you would ever consider, okay, we've got product that we have the way to get into people's hands. Um, and we're not we wouldn't do that because we're trying to protect one piece, a large piece of uh of the industry i just i think that's foolish and short-sighted I, I don't think they we should do that i love the direct market i don't shop in the direct market as much as i used to um but you know there are still shops that when i'm traveling i make a point of going to and i loved visiting new shops when you know i'm in a new city because I, I love to see what's going on in there but you know the problem is is that so much of what's in there is stuff i can get elsewhere and cheaper and delivered to my home uh and I know that's a bad thing, but the thing that you can't get anywhere else is the community. And, you know, the, the comic shops will bounce back if they can survive being out of business for so long. I mean, that's the big thing. It's not that, you know, oh, people bought that, you know, 10% of my market bought uh, those comics when they're released digitally. I think it's going to be more as long as they can open up, as long as they can survive and pay their bills – um, I think I think they'll be fine come come the other side of this virus thing. Yeah, because they're not going to be buying much collectibles because Diamond does yeah. those too. Yeah, yeah, Diamond I, does a I lot more I, than just the comics. Yeah, I honestly think it, they're a microcosm of every small business. Is that it's going to be real rough to survive regardless. Absolutely. And add to the fact add to the fact that you, you, they have items that you, that are potentially what we're talking about things you can get a different way in this environment. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a double whammy. It is. It is. And you know, with, with, I mean, a lot of the stuff to Wayne's point that people buy online is stuff from diamond that diamond already releases later, uh, than is released in the, in the market. So like, you know, when statues or toys go on sale in the direct market, they're generally delayed two months or so before they go to online sellers. Um, unless it's an exclusive to an online seller. But I, I I think the big challenge here is can these guys withstand uh, the loss of revenue over the period of, 
anywhere between four, eight, or 12 weeks when so many of these guys are hand to mouth. Well, and some of them have already shut down. Uh, yeah. Lee's Comics and a bunch of these that have been around 20, 25 years are, are making the announcements that they aren't coming back. Yeah, that's, uh, that is truly sad. That is truly sad. Well, so with, you know, we... We'll uh, keep you updated. Check our social media feeds, IOM Geek, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, and we'll let you know. Is this the last funny books for a while? I no. There's old no. shit to read. There's stuff to talk yeah. about. Uh, so we'll still be around keeping you entertained. We, we can still bitch about Wayne. We can <laughs> yeah. come on here every week and complain about Wayne. I mean, that is evergreen, we've, Paul. It's evergreen. We've got backlogs that we'll finally read. <laughs> yeah, There's, exactly. There's plenty of things to talk about. Uh-huh. We just won't be able to say, hey, Paul, what's coming out next week? Because the answer will always be, I don't know if anything's coming out. I don't know. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> So, well, this week we had a, a pretty big new release that, uh, you know, um, a I couple of... I spent $50 this week in digital comics, Holy by shit. the way. Did you really? Yeah, yeah I, well, twenty. I think 25 was in new comics and 25 was in comics that were on sale. Oh, and, damn. Uh, I bought... A D, they've got a great DC sale right now. It's the DC team-up or, yeah, DC team-up sale. Uh, it's like JSA books, Justice League, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they had a but... crossover sale going earlier in the week. I picked yeah. up the DC Comics Dark Horse crossovers. Well, yeah, too bad they don't have the DC and Marvel crossovers. But hey, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> what, what we did get this week was Batman Superman number eight. Uh, you know, continuing the uh, story in the line that we talked about last month uh, with Zod and Rachel Ghoul and Batman and Superman written by Joshua Williamson art by Nick Darrington. Uh, you know, I think some of us really liked that first issue. Some of us were, you know, a little lukewarm on it. Um, curious to, you know, th- I think this was, this feels like the conclusion of that story. Uh, so what did you guys think? I love this book, Paul. I, I really do. I, I enjoyed the pacing, the conflict in particular. Uh, I enjoy, you know, Nick Darrington's uh, take on Batman. He's got some beautiful Batman panels in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can really tell that he he has gotten very comfortable with Batman through his work on Batman Universe because uh, he's just it's just a natural for him. Uh, but I I enjoyed the twists and turns in the story. I enjoyed uh, that Raj Al Ghul is embarrassed <laughs> by how he performed against Zod in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I I enjoyed that he was embarrassed that Batman had to pull his uh, his uh, fat out of the fryer. I, I I dug this book all over. I, I don't think I've got a single complaint about this book. Yeah, you know I would mirror you. Uh, you know as much as I was looking forward to the Nick Darrington art. I will say outside, you know, when he when he doesn't necessarily have to tie into the whole year of the villain stuff. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Williamson, you know, wrote a pretty damn good story. You know, it's, I was very entertained. Yeah, it was a very entertaining yeah. story. It's not going to change the world. It was a nice, it was well done two issue storyline. Um, you know, that sets up for for potential, you know, more in the future. But I really, really enjoyed this well, book. And when Rajal Ghul puts his kryptonite sword through the bottle city of Kandor, I mean, that is some shit, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. It, I mean, that, that was really pretty badass. And I, the, I, the look on everyone's faces, like, 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it was an awfully good book. So I I didn't dislike the book. It just this didn't have any real impact and it felt like it should have to me. Like I think part of it is it was just a two issue side romp action adventure. Well, I do think it, it felt, felt like the story Andor stuff though. Yeah. It felt like the story being told should have had more of a it should have been a longer story, should have had more of an impact. There are a lot, lot of beats in here that I would have liked seen explored. You know, we don't really see anything with like we're not introduced to any of the Kandorians and made to feel anything about them. That would have been kind of nice. I would have liked to have seen more conversation about, you know, Superman knew that Zod was taking some of the Kandorians and just let it happen. I would have liked to have seen more conversation with him and Batman about that, you know, because basically Superman is okay. He's okay with this. That would have been an interesting conversation to have had. That's my only complaint. The story itself was a good story. It was, it felt like a, a short side romp story that has a lot of depth implied, but not shown. And I think I would have liked to have seen this be a five part story with more depth to it. I, I I really I truly feel like this is a a an act one of a larger story. Um, I feel like those elements that you're talking about are going to show up in an additional story, and I don't know if that's going to be in Batman Superman or if it's going to be in one of the super books. But this feels like it feels like some of those earlier stories that we had in the new Krypton run from years ago that you know Greg Rucka and all those other guys worked right. on. Uh, well, that's what this feels like, because it feels like we're setting up a world where on Jakul, which is the new Krypton that Zod has settled, I feel like he's going to figure out how to fix his uh, his Kandorians and, you know, populate his world there where the only three there's only three Kryptonians there, him, his son and his wife. Um, I, I, I that's where I kind of think yeah. this is going. And I don't disagree with you. And that's part of my problem with it is you remember how the first storyline ended. It ended with a it was a whole setup that then pointed you to another book. And mm-hmm. I think this is the same thing. It's the start, like the act one that's then going to point you to a book I'm not reading. I won't I want the things in this book to be contained in this book or set up stories for this book. I would be happy to find I'm wrong and the Zod story is going to be later on in this book, but I have a strong suspicion it's not. And it's said things up for action or Superman that I'm not reading. And I see that's what you're two, I see what two you're, stories in a row. I see what your problem is, Wayne. It's comics. <laughs> 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 it, it's the it's the fundamental design of the way that we tell stories in comics that I think is your problem here. Just no, saying. <laughs> it's just it's just this book. This book sets up to make you go read other and yes, that is a problem that's been <laughs> a lot of comics with crossovers at all. You know what occurs to me? But don't worry, Diamond's fixing that problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know what occurs to me, and I feel like an asshole about it? It occurs to me, you know, as Wayne talks about, you know, I'm pissed off because this sets up something in this other book and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's why I quit X-Men. And then it occurs to me, I didn't buy X-Men this week, and that's why Aaron bought X-Men. <laughs> so uh, hey, we'll have that to talk about next week because I really went meant to read that issue. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, Paul and I both hard quit X Men right around the same time. Like rage same... quit it. Yeah, I mean, like you know, motherfuck you, 
fuckers, fucking fuckers. Um, but I did uh, too. But I did back when you guys were loving it. Well, X Men number nine, and all I'll say is Starjammers and the Brood and Brew. Um, book was excellent. I loved every bit of it, even the stuff that's driving me crazy right now about Jonathan Hickman and all of his little uh, story breaks and bumpers. I thought it was a great book, beautifully drawn, uh, wonderfully written, lots of fun, reminded me of some of my favorite Shi'ar, Starjammers, Brood stuff back in the day. Big thumbs up. And I'm buying the next issue. How about that? Damn. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to pick it up. We'll talk about it next week. Because yeah. also, you know, the issue with comics is we rage quit comics and then they suck us back in paul yeah so that's what they do that's of, what comics does speaking it of ruins families <laughs> i almost picked up action comics this week which aaron did so i'm curious about his read i saw some really horrible art from it that was just oh, out of context yeah. pictures but connor can't so i want to hear about this aaron so action comics number what 1021 um has got some terrible john ramita jr artwork in it uh, in fact, if you didn't know that Gorilla Grodd was in fact a gorilla, you know, it's right there in his name, you would not be able to recognize him as a gorilla in these pages because he just looks like some sort of, you know, hairy like, beast. Yeah, he looks like Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, there's nothing ape-like about him. And again, Gorilla Grodd, it's right there in his name. Um, John Romita Jr. does have some really nice pages in this book, his architecture in particular is very interesting, but the, the thing that is just wildly compelling about action comics, 1021 is Bendis's writing in particular. Uh, Superman is able to, uh, really turn the tide of this battle between, uh, Leviathan and the Legion of doom and Lex Luthor by turning one of Luthor Luthor's, uh, villains, uh, back to you know to the good side you know to the Justice League side, and he does it just by talking to them, which is kind of what Superman should do, right? You know, shouldn't just beat somebody into submission, but actually convince them uh, by the you know by compelling arguments. And he does that, and it's believable in the uh, in the uh, in the story, in particular because it's so the the words and the situation are so true to Superman's character. And you know, uh, we've said this before. Bendis really gets who Superman is. And I, I just I, I was thrilled by that. But also in the pages of Young Justice, we've seen uh, our beloved Connor from uh, back in the day return uh, to the DC universe. And this marks the meetup between Connor and Superman. And they don't get a lot of time together. But, you know, Connor, you know, uh, comes in and helps save the day and. The, the the there is this moment where the two of them are flying together after the fight, and you know Connor's like, by the way, my name is Connor Kent, <laughs> and uh, Superman's like, wow, we got to figure that out. But uh, the dialogue he he uses is, uh, you were very needed today, young man. Thank you. And you know, Superboy actually, or Connor uh, Kent asks him if you're okay, and there's this great scene where you can just see Superman is just beat down because he took a wild beat almost died in, in the pages of this book. And so he takes a moment to answer and he says, you know, sometimes things feel like uh, they're hanging on by just the most 
by a thread. And then everyone looks to me, sorry, just needed a second. And uh, Connor says something that's so quintessentially Superman. He says, hey, let's go clean up. Clean up always helps. And uh, Superman says, clean up always helps. Okay, that does sound like a Kent. And it's just a really nice scene. And, uh, you know, then Superman resolves like, hey, let's go clean all this up. And let's go figure out who you are. And it's just a really nice scene. The two of them seem to seem to be already connecting. Yeah, so I, I love enjoyed that. I love that. Everything I've read about his appearance, like he shows up and just tosses the Fortress of Doom. Yeah. And it, like he makes this huge impact immediately on arrival. And it's like I love seeing that come back. And, you know. I like how you're describing that they've they've done that introduction. You know, yeah. Superman doesn't remember him. Yeah, yeah. which I find no, confusing, right? Because why do the Titans remember him? Or not the Titans. Why does Young Justice remember him? And Superman went through the whole Superman Rebirth storyline, and he doesn't. So I, I guess I, I'm a little I, confused about that. I will. I will absolutely say the same thing. I don't understand some of the distinctions. Oh, maybe it'll um, come up. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, yeah maybe. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this book a great deal, even though the artwork is hideous. And I don't. This is one of those things I don't understand. I mean, I feel like all all four of us strongly dislike the John Romita art. Why isn't I, I don't understand why uh, someone at, at DC is saying, "Hey, you know, the, we we got this John Romita Jr. guy, but he kind of sucks." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, understand how could that, that anyone look at that picture of Grodd yeah. and say this is okay. I, I mean, I, if, if I was the the art director, I would say this is unacceptable. This is simply unacceptable because while, yes, there are some brilliant pages on there uh, and primarily architecturally speaking, um, but the character work, which is where I think you, you really have to emphasize uh, your creative talent, is uh, quite objectionable. And I don't understand. I just do not understand why it's acceptable. But, you know, I have been watching Titan season two. And Paul, you haven't finished it yet, have you? No, I think I got. I am. I don't remember. It's, it's a 10 episode season, right? Something like 13. 13. 13 episodes. I think I'm eight or nine in. Okay. So uh, you've seen the the Connor stuff, yes. right? Uh, I got to tell you, I'm loving Connor Kent. And Titans. Yeah, very well um, done in the show. There are some things that annoy me a great deal about the show, and it's the same thing that, that annoys me a lot about the CW shows, and that has typically not been the case on these DC Direct shows, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I felt like they have sort of really stepped outside of the CW mold, but uh, one of the things that they have really embraced in Season 2 of Titans is a lot of the posing that happens. Uh, and that, that annoys me because, you know, don't, don't waste your time posing when, you know, you've got some work to do because, you know, if you're, if you're super fast, nobody should be hitting you, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, the, the show's great. I, I am not wild about the ending. Remember last season, you know, it felt yeah. like, uh, you know, they, they, they ended on a cliffhanger that really, they resolved in the first episode of this season. Yeah, it was an episode. You know, they, they took the, the season finale and saved it for the season premiere, and it felt like it. It, right. it didn't yeah. feel like a season finale. It felt right. like an episode cliffhanger. And, yeah, it, it was really poorly handled. Well, something – I'm not going to spoil anything, but something happens at the at the at towards the end of this episode that I was like, 
okay, uh, that's kind of stupid, <laughs> you know, and it just, it, it felt like they manufactured uh, instead of, you know, crafting an organic story, they tried to squeeze something in from the comics so that they could tell that story next season instead of making it part of the, the, an organic part of the story. Um, and I just, I, I don't object that it happened. What I object is how they did it. Um, and so when you watch it, uh, you'll understand, but there are also some, uh, there are characters, one in particular that disappears, you know, you don't see this character for about two, three episodes. And in the last scene of, of the, uh, of the episode, you see that character run across the screen with the rest of them. Character wasn't there in the scene before, but he's huh. there now. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, yeah. So, you know, so it's Titan season two. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I, like I said, I'm, yeah, I'm eight episodes I in, did, but I struggled I with certain did, aspects of it. I did largely enjoy season two. I just, the, particularly the final episode I objected to. But go ahead, Palm. Sorry. Yeah, no, the, 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 I think some of the struggles I had with season two were it would be an episode of current day, an episode of flashback, an episode of current day, an episode of flashback. And it would alternate at least through the first eight episodes. Um, it very much had that, like they would have end with a cliffhanger and every time an episode ended with a cliffhanger, you knew that the next episode was going to be a flashback so that you wouldn't get the resolution of the cliffhanger for two episodes. Um, and I really, really disliked the casting of Bruce Wayne. You know, I, he grows on me through the show uh, because, uh, spoilers, Bruce Wayne is the uh, conscience of Dick Grayson. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of internal conversations with Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson's head that I thought were very amusing. And I just have to say... Batusi, Paul. Did you see the Batusi episode? <laughs> I did. I did. That's episode seven. <laughs> but it's for me, the guy himself. Just I'm like, I, uh, this guy isn't Batman. This guy, I mean, he is like just a dude, like with a bald spot, and he's sitting there drinking tea. And I'm like, this this doesn't I, look I like really Batman. Li- I really like that actor. For he's he was in Game of Thrones, and, and I really enjoy him. And I don't I don't object to him on his uh appearance as you do yeah uh but i do i do agree he's not the guy i would have cast as bruce wayne but i think he's hysterical in the role and the fact that you would ever cast someone as bruce wayne as comic relief in the show is uh is really sort of a bold choice well fair point yeah yep so aaron i i finally understand why you gave the vote you did for doom patrol for the funnies Oh, since yeah. We're ta- yeah, since we're talking DC uh, Universe shows, I picked up the DVD of Doom Patrol, yeah. and I see exactly what you mean. It is, while the story being told has a lot of dark moments, the show has a lot of funny moments. Uh-huh. And Robot Man is very comedic, having uh, Alan Turdyke as the, the narrator throughout scenes and breaking the fourth wall. is It also really lightens it up. And it's amazing how fun such a dark story can be. You know, I am not normally somebody who enjoys that breaking the fourth wall. Like, for instance, I can't stand Deadpool comics. Uh, but I thought it just worked so well with Alan Tudyk in that role uh, doing that. And the, the the narration about you know the the rat <laughs> and, and, and other characters in the show. I just I, I, I freaking love that show. And it, it really makes me wonder how they'll retool 
for season two. Has that already started streaming, Paul? Season two, no, not yet. I, I and I don't know. I'm assuming it had started filming. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not. I know that it, it, they did announce it. I don't know what stage of production it was in. Yeah, I will probably binge the last disc today or tomorrow because yeah. that's how I've been watching them. Is I'll put them in and I'll binge an entire disc. Right, it's so good. You'll have to tell me about the special features on the on the discs, Wayne, because uh, I bought the I bought it on Amazon uh, digital, so I don't get any of the any of the bonus features. So if they're if the bonus features are worth the damn, I may pick that pick up the disc after all. I will let you know. Thanks. But, but what you should pick up, because you probably won't have a lot of other comics to read this. Uh, <laughs> Road Road to Empire: The Pre Scroll War. I'm going to give you a. A spoiler-free review because I want Aaron to actually pick this one up. Well, uh, hold on, the, can you really spoil the Kree Skull War at this point? You know, I mean, wasn't that storyline like thirty years ago? This is setting up the next event. Oh, okay, and, and <laughs> it's Kree uh, Skull World World Two, right? <laughs> yeah. You say that five times fast. So it it actually works as a really good introduction to people that weren't around for reading that original story uh it the book itself grows entirely out of secret war our uh, secret invasion not secret war because it is a family of scrolls that are living as a family of humans in hiding the daughter was the one that got captured that they used to create their test to find the scrolls and you see that that was actually a very painful process you know to create that test but you you get to see as they go through various events happening from this family's point of view and the mother sharing the story of her people with her children. And it goes through how the original Kree Scroll War started, how the two species met all the way through all of this. You have the, the appearance of Mantis and it gives that story a different perspective because it's, you know, a mother telling the story to her people. Well, obviously, in her case, it's going to be slanted for a positive spin on the scroll side. I think that uh, you'll find, Paul, when you pick up the X-Men book uh, that we talked about with uh, you know the Brood and the Starjammers and yeah. etc. You'll find that I believe this is tying in to what's coming on the on the new Kree Scroll War. Because there's a lot of uh, Kree stuff in this. You mean it's a book that sets up another book? God damn it. <laughs> 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 the who's difference is be, this one. You, in, go ahead, go ahead, Wayne. The difference is when you buy this one, you know that. <laughs> Fair. This, this is what it's supposed to be, not do its we, own separate book. Do we know who's going to be running Cree Scroll? Is that Jonathan Hickman or is it somebody else? Oh, you mean Empire? Uh, I think Empire is going to be. It's not. It's not Hickman. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. Um, I'll, I'll look it up while you guys talk about the Cree Scroll War book. Yeah, uh, you get you get into Hulkling quite a bit, and it's the family, you know, basically talking about Hulkling, what he is. I didn't realize a lot of his origin has changed since I originally, you know, back in uh, the Young Avengers book. I didn't realize he was the son of Captain Marvel. Yes, yeah, of the original Captain Marvel. Right. Yep. So that was that was new to me, but as they go through that you see how he plays into some of this and what their opinion is of him being half scroll, half Cree. Hmm. And you just got 
discover that there are some Kree that have been hiding on Earth as well, portraying as human. All leading up to, like I said, this big event where the Kree and the Skrull have united to come attack Earth. Hmm. Well, Empire, you know... Oh, go ahead. I was say the book for me was really good. The art is incredible, and it just gives that you know it gives a new take on the history, a very succinct one that gives you all of the details on why the wars happened and why these two races hated each other. Well, Empire Number One may or may not be out on April fifteenth. <laughs> um, and it's co-written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott with art by Valerio Sheedy. Mm. We, we, we like uh, we like Valerio Sheedy. Yeah, I like at least two thirds of that. Two thirds of that yeah. package. So. That's that is that is correct. Well, and if there's one man that knows continuity and likes to bring it forward, it is Dan Slott. He's hit or miss for me, but some of the things he's doing that I love, you know, Fantastic Four, he's doing an incredible job on. So. Yeah, I agree. Fantastic Four is a strong book. Well, speaking of Fantastic Four, guys, Doctor Doom is one of the final battle, whatever, whatever you want to call them, competitors, Com- <laughs> contestants, <laughs> contestants in Aaron. Oh, I'm sorry. Crossover March Madness. How's that? That was good. That was good. I'm waiting for your dogs to come barking in the room. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for Elmer to be appearance. <laughs> well, we are down to the final two, the the championship battle, uh, and the two. Ba- you know, so just as a reminder, if you haven't been listening, shame on you. You have nothing better to do, so go back and listen. But. Uh, what we're doing is we're talking about a Marvel versus DC crossover and which book we would rather see more. Um, and for the record, we started doing it long before everyone else started doing it these last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, we started doing it when we didn't, when we weren't quarantined at house at home. Right. When we could see outside. Yeah, when we could go outside. <laughs> um, and now everyone's talking about it. And good, good. I, you know, that's what we want to see. Um, even though, you know, and, and, you know, the sad thing is I wish they had started it first because they put out some really great ideas that I wish we had thought of. But, you know, yeah. whatever. It is It is what it is. <laughs> um, but our final two books are Thor versus Shazam, written by J. Michael Straczynski and Olivier Copiel, featuring, you know, uh, Billy Batson going to Valhalla and um, Asgard, and, you know, the relationship established between Thor and Shazam, and not just Thor and Shazam, but also the side characters. As well, and, and versus Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom, written by Kieran Gillen and Salvador La Roca, and I believe the, the concept we discussed last week uh, for this book was it would feature Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom throughout the decades. So we would see each, it would be like a six issue miniseries, um, each issue set in a different decade, a different era of Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom. So you'd have 80s Luthor versus 80s Doom, you know, 60s Luthor versus 60s Doom, and, the, you know, the different, uh, you know, iterations of those characters throughout well, the years. And, and don't you think you also have to have a Doom 29 versus 2099 versus uh, Apex Lex? Yeah. Don't you, I mean, it's got to be, oh, yeah. it's got to be all the way up to the present and the future. Well, right? wasn't, uh, you know, in DC 1 million, wasn't uh, that Superman, the son of Lex or something like that, or related to Lex Luthor somehow? I don't, I don't know. Don't no, recall. Maybe. No, yeah, maybe. So, but regardless, yeah, I think we, we certainly need that iteration. So that's, those are the two options at play here. And I 
think, because Tim hates starting first, we'll go with Wayne. <laughs> uh, I I want both of these to happen so bad. Uh, I, I think the Thor Shazam book would be the more fun book. But for a sheer story, I love the Through the Ages storyline. And I think these two master manipulators, you know, there would be some really good story out of it. And I am loving the current Doom book. So, so very difficult, but I'm giving my nod over to Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom because I, I just love that Through the Ages storyline, even though I think that the other book would be more fun. I agree with Wayne in that I want to see both of these stories. I think these 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 both of these books uh, would be exciting. I think they'd be you know just terrific reads, um, but for different reasons. You know, I want to see all the plotting and you know pitting you know Luthor and Doom from their various uh, you know uh, iterations through the ages. You know, it would be great to see. Uh, pre-Doctor Doom, back when he's just Victor Von Doom, you know, uh, science student, meeting Lex Luthor. Maybe they maybe they meet at college or some sort of, you know, academic competition. I mean, you know, Luthor's still got his hair. Uh, Von Doom still has his face. I want to see that. I think that's a terrific story, right? Instead um, of uh, Superboy costing Lex's hair, it's Doom. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. Turn that on its head, right? Uh, I think that's a that's a brilliant story. I think that's a lot of fun. But I keep coming back to how much I want to see Billy Batson and the rest of the Marvels wandering through Asgard, you know, meeting all of the Asgardian heroes, meeting Beta Ray Bill, uh, fighting each other initially, uh, becoming you know teaming up, Shazam inheriting you know Thor's power at some point. So he's Shazam. <laughs> you know, introducing uh, milk and Oreo cookies in Valhalla. I mean, we've we've talked about this. Olivia Copiel on the on the art, J. Michael Straczynski on uh, on the writing. I mean, I, I just I I really want to see that. And right now, I need some fun. Uh, so I'm going to vote for Thor versus Shazam. Tim. Um. So. Both, both, uh, both, both books that we've pitched, um, I believe we've sculpted pretty, pretty fun, uh, well, fun, uh, pretty good reads, we'll say. Um, I think what for me, when you boil it down to the essence of, of you know, the the four actual char- characters in this discussion, Doctor Doom is 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 uh, is your quintessential Fantastic Four enemy, and Lex Luthor is your quintessential Superman enemy. And both of those, both of those heroes and hero groups aren't ones that are even on my like B list for, as far as what I usually like. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy to see why I'm going to go Thor Shazam. I also, as long as we're talking about this book, would like to see Black Adam and Thor throw down. Oh I yeah, think, yeah, I need to see that. Yeah, Let, yeah let's no, add ooh, that I, haven't even, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm down for that. No, that sounds great. Yeah. So Thor Shazam for me. So it's tough for me, right? Um, I, I will say on the stands, I feel like Dr. Doom, Lex Luthor would be the story that would be most intriguing to me conceptually. 
um, especially the way we've described it, right? You know, I think that would be a fantastic read. Um, right. You know, and and you know, when all six issues were done, I think it would be something to to go back and revisit, especially with the creative team that's on it. Um, I feel like the story I would have more fun with is Thor versus Shazam because of the, you know, Olivier Copiel art uh, and everything we've described around that and the way J. Michael Straczynski writes the Asgardians, right? They, they all have these great individual personalities. We've not really seen him, seen his take on Shazam, but, you know, we know his take on, on Thor and the supporting characters is great there. So it's a tough choice for me. I could either make it a tie and let the die decide who our winner is, or I can choose Thor versus Shazam and just end this thing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's a tough tune choice. in next week for the decision. <laughs> <laughs> the decision. Dun, dun, dun. No, no. Um, I think, I think we can win either way. So I think I'm actually going to go with Thor versus Shazam. Woo-hoo! Um, yeah, I think that's our winner. I think, uh, I, I want both books, but I, I yeah, think the the one that I would read first would be Thor versus Shazam. I think so too. You know, if I they both came out on the same week, the 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 book I'm going to open and read first is Thor versus Shazam by J. Michael Straczynski and Olivier Copiel. And you know, now that we're wrapping up uh, our crossover March Madness, I think honestly, and there's been a lot of conversation about this online, that if the Big two publishers want to reinvigorate the direct market, do a crossover, do a company crossover between DC and Marvel, do something like what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, or I, and, do it even different you know, than that, you know, what you can do, do it now, do it like, yeah. <laughs> do it now. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, find a way to, to, you know, to pass the files digitally, release a page a day, charge a uh-huh. dollar per page or something. Right. Uh-huh. And then, just you know because i'm sure people would would be all about it donate all the proceeds to the direct market to keep yeah. those guys employed and paid i would do it i'd jump absolutely yeah. on it yeah yeah and don't make it just one big fight like marvel versus dc was fun in the mm-hmm. 90s and i love the amalgam stuff i want to see amalgam come back too you know, any event should lead to a either a return to amalgam or a new amalgam probably new would be better Right. Well, I, I would love to see all the amalgam stuff collected. Yeah, I, I would be all over that. Uh, you know, and and again, I think so many other people would too. And again, that's the way to to make some money. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of people who've never seen the amalgam stuff except on uh, torrents that they've downloaded. You know, uh, because the the amalgam stuff hasn't been in print for so long. I I would I would love to see that stuff. I really would. I, I think there's a huge opportunity here, and yeah. I, you know, we had so much fun just imagining it. Uh, I would love to see it executed. Yeah. I will say one of the few print comics I actually still—oops, my uh, my iPad just fell on the floor. Uh, oh no! Oh no! Hemorrhage more money. Um, <laughs> the, one of the few print comics I've held on to because pretty much, you know, I, I was hold, I have a, a, a small box of print comics that I hold on to that just have never been released digitally. Things like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as a horror fan, they never released the Halloween and um, 
Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street comics um, digitally because of rights issues. So I hold on to those. Um, you know, I held on to uh, Umberto Ramos's Crimson book for the longest time until Boom Studios got the rights and released it digitally. Sold mine on eBay, by yeah. the way. So, so I've gotten rid of, all, you know, so, uh, so I cut the Kara comics. Crimson is now available digitally, so I got rid of that. But my Marvel versus DC, written by Ron Lim, um, uh-huh. and, you know, features, I, I don't remember who did the art, which is kind of shitty of me, but, but, you know, I actually still have that trade paperback, and I am holding on to it for dear life. Yeah, I would love to have a, you know, amalgam trade paperback, and I'd rather have it digitally, but I never read all of those. You know, at the time, picked up the ones that were most interesting to me, but I'd like to read all of them. Well, you know, and, and you now know, I have worth the money a damn thing. Or so, I could. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, they're not worth a damn thing. You can go and get again. any of them in quarter bins. <laughs> yeah. Well, but and, you have yeah. to find them. Yeah. Well, and eBay is a good place for that because a lot of them are, are sold in like huge lots, you know, and, and rather inexpensive. But do it, Wayne. Um, Just wipe the all- box down before you open it. That's right. And let me tell you, you can always have our good friends over at Heroes Rebound build you a, uh, a hardcover of those with those comics. Hey, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I, they're, they're working on two books for me right now. But they're not doing it for free. We're not sponsored, but we could be. No. Just putting that no. out there. Uh, there you go. There you go. I am so tempted to take all of my Sleepwalker books and have them rebound. <laughs> I, I, I have no commentary here. I have the entire <laughs> run of the Sleepwalker series, but it's never been released to trade in individual copies. Was better. I currently have them working on uh, the ac- It's kind of like the action comics that made me. Uh, it was the the early editions of action comics that I read when I was a kid. Uh, it's about uh, seventeen issues of action comics that are just my favorite. Uh, mostly Kurt Swan il- illustrated, and they're they're putting that into a hardcover for me right now. I, I, I love what they do. The, the the Star Trek Early Voyages book they put together for me is just gorgeous. And you know you can't you largely can't get those things digitally. Yeah, so check them out. What was it again, Aaron, on Instagram? At Heroes Rebound. And again, you can leave us some commentary on what you thought of Crossover March Madness, what DC versus Marvel characters you or books you would like to read, and your thoughts on this week's books. Um, you can hit us up, IOM Geek, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or we you can call the IOM Geek hotline. Yeah, in these uncertain times, give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Paul, yes, sir. we don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but you can be sure that whatever we do talk about, Wayne will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.